Good morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Sadie, and I've been attending here for about four years, and last year I became a member. I am not a pastor. I have not been to seminary. I am here today to share my personal faith story. So what you hear here is my story, my interpretations. The UCC topic for today is from the heart. And I offered to start a series of faith stories because I really love identity work. I love digging into who are the different parts of me. I like digging into the personhood of self and the peoplehood of us. Both of my grandmothers were women of faith. And they and their children passed this faith on to me. I was born into Christianity. When I was six, my parents decided it was time to start attending a church. So we started at Haller Lake United Methodist in North Seattle. I saw images of Jesus like the one I showed you today. I heard hymns like, what a friend we have in Jesus. I found a feeling of comfort, like a warm, cozy blanket, in praying. I was given a children's Bible when I was around seven or eight. I still have it today. I had a young child's perspective of Jesus as a friend, as a brother, as a person full of love and kindness and inclusion. I had a young child's perspective of a church as being the place that carries that out. And then I became an older child and I have this really distinct memory of a Sunday school teacher. We had, we had proper like Sunday school done by adults that I didn't know and they just were in charge of teaching me the Bible. That's basically what that was. So this Sunday school teacher <clears throat> had the lectionary with this chapter from Matthew, chapter five. And in it was this part about divorce. And the teacher read the passage <clears throat> and then had a moment where he looked right at me and said, I know your parents are recently divorced. I was around 11. And he took the time to slow down and address me in this passage that sounds a little scary to an 11-year-old child. <laughs> he slowed down and said, I want to give you some historical context for Jesus' time 2,000 years ago. And he said, Jesus really cared how women were treated. And back then, if a woman didn't have a husband or a father or a brother to provide for her, she couldn't own land she wouldn't be given food. She couldn't work. Jesus didn't want to see women in such a vulnerable position. And the Sunday school teacher said, I don't think Jesus was saying divorce was a sin. I think Jesus was saying divorce is something to really think about and not do lately. And I think Jesus just knows divorce is hard on families. So in that moment, I felt seen by someone at my church. And that was significant because nobody was talking to me about the fact that my parents were divorcing. Nobody in my life knew how to talk to a child about that. But this, this person slowed down 
and saw me and talked to me about it. And I also got this message that Jesus was a compassionate person and that Jesus cared about the standards of how people treat each other. And of course, at age 11, I wasn't really trying to dissect the Bible any further. But it grew. I became a teenager. And I did get interested in dissecting the Bible a little bit further. I don't know why. I just had that in me. And at the same time that I was graduating from high school, my church, the same church that I had grown up in, discovered that their pastor was gay. Oh my gosh. And when I very first heard this news, I thought, oh, okay. Well, you know, Jesus is all love and inclusion, and being gay is cool now, so that should be fine, right? No. The same Sunday school teachers that I perceived to have taught me about love and inclusion decided that having a gay pastor was a problem. And there was council meetings and gossip, and I thought it was all very ridiculous and quite obviously not what the Bible taught in my 17-year-old wisdom. But I was moving out anyway. I was going to college anyway. So I decided I would just naturally leave and let the grown-ups figure that out. So I moved all the way to the university district, a whole five miles away. And I decided I needed a church I could walk to. Very easy. There's lots of churches in the U district. And as I was walking around, I noticed that some of them had rainbow flags and some of them didn't. And I thought, ah, well, here's how to not get in that situation again. I'll go to a church with a rainbow flag where I know having a gay pastor will be okay. And that's how I found University Baptist Church. And at University Baptist Church, which is American Baptist, not Southern Baptist, one of the reoccurring favorite hymns was We Gather Together. And that's exactly what that church did. We were small. We were alive. We were family style in everything we did. Every event was intergenerational. The kids, the teenagers, the grown-ups and the elders, we just kind of did everything together. And I liked that. Because I was not looking for a college-age social group. I found that in other ways. I was looking for a family. The words and the hymns resonated with the values I had discovered I had. I began to really listen to the sermons. And that church not only gave me an extended family to be part of, in the sermons, it gave me a Christian family ancestral heritage. I was taught that the family of Christ went back generations and generations and spanned the world, and that I was part of a really big family. This worked for me because I was looking for a family. I have all my books from home hiding under here. I brought them with me to give me strength. <laughs> so I, as, a, as a young adult, I really started to dig into theology. That was a, a, for me, it was a deepening of my spiritual faith. Asking myself the question, well, who am I? There are so many different theologies, so many different faith stories. What is mine? And I'd have these fascinating conversations with all kinds of different people. And one of them that really stood out was with a pastor who had heard some of my family of origin stories and knew 
some of why I was having to process who I was raised with and looking for a new family. And he said, you know, Latino women have a much different perspective on the image of Jesus suffering on the cross. And I was like, what are we talking about? At this church, we, we had the plain cross, not the Jesus dying on the cross. cross. So I'm like, why is he talking about this? But he brought it around, and he said, in many Anglo-Protestant traditions, women received the message that because Jesus self-sacrificed, they should also self-sacrifice. This can lead to women staying in abusive relationships, suffering because they think they should suffer as Jesus suffered. Latina women have a different perspective. When they're in a situation where they're suffering, they say, I already know I'm suffering just from the way the world is, from poverty or from oppression. And when they see the image of Jesus suffering on the cross, what they feel is that humans have just suffered first because there is suffering in the world. And that when Jesus came, Jesus walked alongside people. He lived the life of a poor human and gave solidarity and accompaniment to human suffering. And my pastor explained this is how many Latino women have the perspective that Jesus does not call women to self-sacrifice and suffer more. Jesus worked against oppression, wants women out of oppression, wants women out of poverty, wants women out of abusive situations. So the image of Jesus on the cross brings Latina women great hope. Hope for the life of Jesus to accompany and comfort them. Hope that their own lives can become better. And my mind was blown. I was like, how did this pastor know that I've totally been self-sacrificing myself in ways that are not good for me? <laughs> it was like he'd read my mind. And wow, I got this new perspective, a more mature perspective. And it was moments like this that told me I needed church. Church was essential to my well-being. And folks at that church talked me through, talked me through, talked me through processing my family of origin and helping me find in Christianity a better way of being. And so after I'd been there for many years, I was starting to sit in on church council meetings and learn a bit about the operations of the church, how leadership works. And we had some pastoral changes that were very hard on the congregation for multiple reasons. And so I got asked if I would be the moderator because this church really wanted a younger perspective, younger leadership. How are we going to stabilize and grow the congregation and all that? And that was how I told the congregation I was pregnant. I said, oh, I can't do that, because guess what? I'm eight weeks pregnant, and I so cannot be moderator and have a baby at the same time. And that was one of those moments when then everything in life seemed to crash and shake all at once because the church did not figure out their leadership and their identity work and calling a new pastor. And the church dwindled and dwindled and made a decision that they needed to close their doors. So at the same time that this church that meant so much to me was closing its doors, 
I was having babies and my mom got sick and my sister got sick and all this was happening at once and I kind of lost my sanity for a little while and I had some really interesting imagery happen for me when I lost my sanity and one of them was I had a dream. It was one of those dreams that was very tangible in its visual images and in how it felt. It was a dream of comfort. I went somewhere to a little town. I think I was with some people I knew. And we were getting hungry and we found a cafe but this cafe was in a community hall. Oh wait, that was also a church? And it was this like ancient stone building with a really, really beautiful sanctuary. But then the narthex spilled out into this like full espresso bar cafe. But it was open every day of the week, like a cafe. And there was tables that have the little checkerboards so people would sit and play games. And so the way I felt in that space was this is a community. People here slow down and talk to each other. You are fed. You are watered. You can worship together. It's open all the time. I think I just might stay here for a while and I woke up and I wanted to go back to that place and 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 then have that place and I, I really had to grieve the loss of my church so I took a little break from church I suppose at that point I couldn't leave the house much anyway with a newborn but then, he turned two, and I thought to myself, okay, I want a church I can walk to with a rainbow flag. It worked before, I'm going to try it again. So I found St. Paul's. And St. Paul's was small, but it was alive. And it was intergenerational. And families went together with all ages to these events. And I listened to the hymns and the words resonated with my values. So I came back. I really wanted to hear the sermons. I'm sure they were fantastic. But when the pastor started talking, I couldn't pay attention. Because my mental state was still a little on the edge. And there's something about the format of a sermon where I would just go into my own head and my own head would be spinning about this problem and that problem and, and my negative voice was just in there and I, I don't know, I didn't know what to do about that. Um, but that's what was happening and, and I was also going home and that spinning negative voice was coming out of my mouth and my husband and I agreed on time limits but that only helped a certain amount because sometimes I went over my time limit and then he was all done listening. And then even if I was done talking, it was still in my head. <sighs> so I went to Pastor Tim. I said, well, here's what's happening. I think I probably just need somewhere to talk so that I don't come home and have home be the only place that I talk because I have this really great husband and he doesn't really deserve to hear all this coming out of my mouth every day. One of those support groups, you know, where you can talk about what you're going through. And I said, Tim, I, I see this list that you have in your church, but I have no idea what all these acronyms are. And I thought it was like, oh, if you have a family member with cancer, there's a group. And if you have a family member with Alzheimer's, there's a group. I thought it was like one of those. 
And Tim just listened to me, and then he pointed at the line that said Al-Anon and said, well, try that one. Sounds like that one might fit you. And then he said, if it doesn't, I'll help you find one that does. I said, oh, okay. And I had no idea what Al-Anon was, no clue. So I go. And for like four or five weeks, I go. And all I can do is sit and cry and listen because I had never been in a room with so many people telling my story. And that was what I needed. And I learned that Al-Anon was 12-step. And I said, what? I, I don't come from an alcoholic family. This, I don't know if this really makes sense. I mean, except for my sister's ex-husband was totally an alcoholic. But I mean, other than that, like, drinking is not my family's problem. But I kept going back because I was hearing my story. And then I heard about the whole generational effect of alcoholism. And I heard how if you just change the word drinking to the word thinking. And I was like, oh, yeah, all that mind spinning that I can't control. Oh, 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 yeah. And then I, and then I decided to work the first three steps because I was really desperate. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol. And in Al-Anon, I just get to replace that with uh, we admitted we were powerless over other people and what they do. And I'm powerless over my own thinking. And that my life had become unmanageable. Step two, I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Well, here's the thing. I had always believed in God. Always. I just didn't believe God could really do much for me. Hmm. Step three made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Well, no, God exists, but I'm in charge of my life, aren't I? And here I was in a room full of people who were not at church telling me through their own stories, I actually really needed to work on my relationship with God. And I was humbled. I was very humbled. And as I reflected, I thought, well, yeah. Back when I was a teenager and a young adult and I was all, like, invested in my spirituality, I would spontaneously pray. That happened. One of my favorite hymns was Every Time I Feel the Spirit, I Will Pray. And I have not been doing that. Maybe I need to get my relationship with God back. Which was hard. I found that praying had become very difficult. I started to notice that when I drove to work, I was trying to distract my mind with podcasts, with music. But it really wasn't working very well. Fast forward to 10 days ago. My Bluetooth in my car would not work. I could not turn on a podcast. I couldn't turn on music. I tried the radio, it was just commercials. So I was in the car with just myself, which is not very pleasant company for me sometimes. Oh, right, right, this is the moment when I'm supposed to pray. Okay, 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 okay. And I actually was able to do it. And I felt better because I actually felt my connection with God I felt the relationship. And my prayers are very simple. God, here's what's happening in my life. Help, please. Comfort, please. Amen. I get to work, and I learn that this little boy in my class 
who's a biter that you've heard me pray about. I learned that it's suddenly his last day, that his parents have found a different school for him that will hopefully be able to meet his needs more. One of the hardest things as a teacher is knowing what a child needs and not really having the capacity to provide it. I had also made a decision to be done teaching and to start a new career. And I was at peace with that decision, except for this one child. Because I was concerned that when I left, that it would be this one child who would bite more without my experienced skills in the classroom. And that was really bothering me. So to hear that you found another school where his needs could be met better was a, was a release. I could now be all the way at peace with this decision. But it turns out God is even smarter than that because three hours later, I twisted and popped and sprained my knee doing almost nothing. It was very painful. My husband had to carry me out of work. But a few hours later, I was saying to my husband, God is really smart. In my prayer that morning, when I was sharing what was happening with my life, I knew that I was feeling my internal fuse with teaching being really short. And I was praying to God for a little more patience to get me through my last eight weeks of teaching. And it sounds funny to say, but I felt that God took care of the one child I was concerned about and then injured my knee and said, go home. (laughs) Go home. I release you from this service. It's my story. I don't know how God talks to you, but that's what I felt. And so this gives me an opportunity to be at home with my leg up on my laptop, contemplating various things. And one of the things I got to contemplate was how the Bible verses assigned in today's lectionary could possibly relate to my faith story and to St. Paul's. Remember, I'm really interested in identity work. And as that applies to St. Paul's, that means I'm really interested in how does St. Paul's identify who are we? Who are we that is the same as other congregations? Who are we that is different from other congregations? So for example... Here at St. Paul's, we're a UCC church. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. I get to be up here and say, I'm a believer, I'm sharing my story. You can have a turn to come up here and say, I'm a believer, I'm just here to share my story. Another key value at St. Paul's that keeps me coming back is that communion is for everyone. Because I've been at churches where, oh, you're invited to communion. Oh, except I got some rules that you have to follow. And I never liked that. It's important to me that communion is an inclusive practice here. So then I look up the Bible verses for today. And oh boy, 1 Corinthians. Okay, we got Paul and Apollos. And I had to look up who Apollos was. Oh, Apollos was a... He was a minister. So here's Paul starting churches, handing them off, checking back on them, and division and quarreling among congregations has emerged over which church leader each person follows, who has the better sermons, who has the more correct, right sermons 
which churches are developing the best practices. And so Paul writes a letter and says, hey, I hear that you are arguing over who's a better minister, me or Apollos, and I have something to say about that. We are both God's workers. And me and Apollos are co-workers. And as I reflected on what this passage is saying to me, this is my interpretation here, this is not the reading of the word, what I got out of it was that folks in those churches were following the personalities of different leaders. They weren't focusing on the principles, on the values, on what God really wanted them to hear. And what I got out of Paul's letter is Paul was saying, when you listen to the church leaders, take what you like and leave the rest. I do that. I, the leader, do that. Listen for God's voice. Don't listen to the personality of whoever's talking in the pulpit. And so I was thinking about St. Paul's and why I come back. I don't feel that kind of disruptive tension at St. Paul's. I don't hear anyone arguing over whether or not Courtney's a better preacher or Tamara's a better preacher. I've never heard that. I notice at St. Paul's leadership is very collaborative. I see people checking in with each other. Hey, how about this? Hey, how about this? How could it go together? In Corinthians, Paul continues to give the metaphor of a, of a building. And when I read it, I got an image in my mind of people working together to build a building. Now, you might have a person who knows about roofing, who does the roof. And you might have a person who knows about the foundation, who does the foundation. And I wouldn't want a roofer doing in the foundation, and I wouldn't want a concrete pourer to do the roof. But these people are working together, and they're not arguing about everything. Another thing I really notice about St. Paul's is there are some key leadership positions that get rotated. I have been in and heard of churches where the treasurer is the same person for 15 years, and this causes big problems with decision-making. That doesn't happen here. Leadership is rotated. And the most important thing that I see about St. Paul's that keeps me coming back is that every person here is valued as a, as a brick in the building of the church. There's no, well, well, you can't be a member because of this, or you can't be a member because of this. It's, hi, who are you? What are your skills? What are your talents? How would you like to participate? And that's why I keep coming back, and that's why this is the place for me to keep working on my own faith journey. Thank you so much for letting me share.
now we've come to the time of uh, the prayers of the people. And uh, you are welcome to share your prayer concerns or joys uh, from where you are or come up to the front and light a candle. And when uh, someone has expressed their prayer, we respond, hear our prayer, O God. We remember all of those uh, as we go within ourselves and, and move towards sharing and knowing that we're one together in this as um, there is there are new things every day that we hear for others and their needs and we keep all in our prayer Lighting a candle of gratitude and appreciation and with wishes for guidance for our new St. Paul's Church Council. Um, we have our work cut out for ourselves this year and we just had our first meeting and it went crazy long. And so I ask for strength and guidance in this work that we're doing together so that we may be faithful stewards of this place that's St. Paul's. Hear our prayer, O oh God. I raise a prayer for those on the cruise ship that have landed at Japan where um, they thought one person actually, uh, one American actually had coronavirus and now they have found that 44 Americans tested positive for coronavirus and will be kept in Japan until uh, they have recovered and the rest uh, will be in quarantine in the United States for 14 days and so I pray for their uh, their health and their concerns and their families. Hear our prayer, O oh God. God, we pray for all of those concerns spoken aloud or in our hearts for the many individual concerns and we pray in joy for the joys that we have uh, have but don't, don't always share and for all the needs of our very needy world as we turn to pray prayer Jesus taught his disciples together our creator who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And let us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, the glory forever. Amen. And now we're thinking about what we give and uh, about, uh, in the case of the worship leader, of the importance of St. Paul's. And I just will uh, sort of pass on some of what relates to what Sadie talked about with the children. Jesus playing with our children. And as 
Many of you know I tend to play. And there is a, um, there's a couple at our condo building on my floor that have grandkids who visit. And they know that any time as they walk by in the hall, if I hear them, the door may open and I will jump out at them. And uh, the, the older one, probably about five years old, who is pretty strong for a five-year-old, he decided to fight with me and I had to get really strong and put my arms around him and hold him. And the, uh, some other, an, an older, an, a woman older than me that was nearby said, you're strong. <laughs> but you know, we need to be strong for our children and play with them. And there have been uh, churches I've been in that want the children to be quiet. And then there was a wonderful church that was a healing one for me to be at as an interim after being at a couple that weren't, where the children made noise. There were lots of children. And they'd whisper, and they'd move, and they'd laugh. And the congreg they made enough noise that the congregation members looked like this, trying to hear me. <laughs> and I loved it. And we don't have quite that much distraction, but there is occasionally some, and we are that way with our children. And that's how we need to be following Jesus' example, one of the ways in which we can, and we do here at St. Paul's. So with that generosity and love, we accept the offering.
are thankful to God for all the richness in our lives that we receive and live with and through and we dedicate our gifts of time and treasure in return the little bit it is of what we receive. Amen. Let's turn to hymn 282, Every Time I Feel the Spirit. have the shalom that's up on the uh, above on the wall as well as in our uh, bulletin 